So today I'm glad um, to have some of the past people that I interviewed on the podcast here with me. Alex Baldwin, Debbie Millman, Jeffrey Marsh, and, <laughs> and Sean Evericio. If you all would like to just give a little um, introduction to the audience, that'd be great. I'm Alex. Um, I'm the co-founder and CTO of a startup called KIPP. Um, it's a group shopping bot for offices and families um, to help them organize and collect other orders. In the past, I've worked on Wi-Fi mesh network projects like the Red Hook network, which help people communicate during Sandy and um, other communication tools. And before that, I was working in art direction for design. So. I'm Debbie Millman, and I am a designer and an author. I'm an educator at the School of Visual Arts. I run the Master's in Branding program there. And I am also the host of the podcast, Design Matters. A fan. That's good. I'm Jeffrey Marsh. I'm famous on social media. I'm the best known out genderqueer social star. Quarter of a billion views on social. And yeah. And the best shoes in the house, what? can we just ask? Hey, it's not a contest. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and I'm an author with Penguin Random House because of that work. Just just released a book since our time together. Do you want to say what the book is? It's called How to Be You. I'll tell you, I'll talk your ear off afterwards if you'd like. Hi, I'm Sean, I'm founder of OnePlus Love, is a social media app for the LGBT community. I'm also an activist. I've been part of ACT UP, Career Nation, Occupy, a little bit of Black Lives Matter, run the whole gamut. Great. So thank you guys for all coming here tonight. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Rob and the center for hosting us. I really appreciate it. So we're going to get started with the notion of LGBT growing in terms of labels and names. So, you know, you start looking and there's LGBTQ plus this, that, and even my, I even updated my um, podcast to say LGBTQ plus because there's so many different sort of categories, right? So do you think these categories or labels are helping us or are they boxing us more in? And maybe how do you, how do you identify? And like, how do you feel about how you identify? So I identify as trans and genderqueer, and I think that all these other labels that are um, sprouting up are based on the fact that a lot of people don't have the right kind of space to express themselves. Uh, and so it's a different language. So it's just a constantly evolving language. So it's just more granular and um, expanding. Like it just It's like a natural uh, way any language will grow and change over time. I think I have a, a bit of a complicated answer. I work in branding. I've been working in branding for most of my career. And in branding, you create very deliberate differentiation between one thing and another. And the very idea of a label is really part of the foundation of, of where branding began. You, you created a label that designated what something was. And 160 years ago, when we first started to create these labels, people were very willing to pay a premium for that particularly labeled thing. It gave you a sense of what it was. It, it allowed you to understand telegraphically the difference between one thing and another. And so on the one hand, I think that it's absolutely marvelous to be able to use any number of words to describe who you are and to allow other people to understand how you identify. On the other hand, I didn't come out 
until I was 50 years old. Not that I didn't have questions about my identity, but I went from one day saying I was one thing publicly to the next day saying I was something else publicly. But I was still the same person. Yeah, exactly. With the exact same soul, with the exact same heart. And so it felt almost arbitrary to suddenly identify as something else, even though my heart was bursting with joy at being free to, to declare who and what I am. But I'm, it, I'm, it's really quite a, a mixed bag for me. Are we going in order? We can. Shall I? Apparently yeah. we are. Like we You're can. so beautiful. I just want to give that space for a second. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Um, you You're so articulate. <laughs> Wonderful. So I'm really well aware of branding. I've got the Jeffrey Marsh app, the book, the genderqueer fashion line, everything that's grown out of the social presence. And if I didn't label myself, that stuff wouldn't have a foundation to stand on. People wouldn't be able to Google it, for example. But the flip side, and I, I still to this day get messages constantly from people saying, I was feeling suicidal, but I saw your video. I've chosen to stick around. If you can be yourself, so can I. And that sort of message transcends labeling. And that sort of connection transcends labeling. And the kind of dark side of labels, because this is this is my milieu, right? I deal with a lot of young people. Deal with. <laughs> I have the privilege to communicate with a lot of young people online, and they're constantly labeling themselves. Asexual, demisexual, genderqueer, genderfluid, queer. There's a million labels. And the dark side that a lot of people don't consider about labeling is what you were suggesting. It cuts you off from certain experiences. So I always counsel people that it's totally okay not to know what you are, not to know who you are. I use genderqueer because it's important, but it's also the label that to me seems closest to no label at all, which is where I think the movement might be headed, which might be another one of your questions yeah, later. It, it, that's a good point, though, because I feel like when we do label or categorize ourselves, you also have a sense of community, right? You can find other you find people your other like you. Yeah. So, you know, and then you're like, oh, wow, like there all are other people like me when I didn't think there were other people like me or that are going through the same thing as me. So it's this kind of weird balance, right? It's like, you know, we don't want to box ourselves out or make us feel like, you know, we don't belong to this larger community, but we also want to create our own sort of community and safe spaces, right? I feel like I, I appreciate the idea of people being able to choose to label themselves or not. First of all, you know, outside on this, there's only so, many, so much space for so many letters to go up outside the building. Um, <laughs> the letters do keep growing. Um, and I understand that's because the identity spaces keep growing. Or the identity spaces were already always there. They just weren't acknowledged before. But what I want is for people to be able to still be able to self-identify as they choose and not not be looked down upon because they don't go attach themselves to the label of the moment. I, I don't have any relationship to the word queer. I never have. But I understand why it exists. 
And I don't identify as a queer African-American. I'm a, I'm a gay black man. I don't, I don't have relationships with the word African-American. I get why it exists, but it's not how I define me. And I think that should remain okay, that people are able to just call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. And sometimes I feel like that's not happening. I feel like there's a, almost a push to make, to make everyone line up under one particular letter. But just that feels incorrect to me. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's how I feel about it. But you were about to say something, Sean. Uh, yeah, I was going to um, jump on what you were saying earlier. I like that we have all these different labels, these different ways of being in the world. I like people naming different possibilities so we all can see what we can potentially be. It shouldn't be a constraint. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a fixed position. It should be something that's dynamic and one that's ever-changing. But I also understand why we want to fit people under the L or the G for political reasons, when we start to name our oppression and name why we're in the streets fighting. That's a, that's a great way to organize and to build community and build political, like, you know, political community around. But we also have to watch out to make sure that there, we have to watch sort of the um, margins, make sure that the people that are in G, certain uh, people from a different economic group or a different economic class, starts to speak for the whole group, yeah. right? So they, that will limit our life choices, our opportunities, and also our ways of being visible in the world. You know, gay men aren't all wealthy. You know, aren't all going to Far Island. We're very dynamic. <laughs> We're doing many different things. You know, so it's great that we can name ourselves and to explore these things. I'm all for it, but also, and it's also a great tool to organize around. But we have to watch out those boxes, those traps we get put into. Moving on. <laughs> um, and it's sort of a decent follow-up to that. So I often encounter, <clears throat> I mean, most of my friends, most of my, my gay male friends, lesbians, bi, trans, anyone who I encounter with is out predominantly. But I also encounter people who are not out for a variety of reasons, right? And I don't think, I don't think anyone has the right to make someone else come out. It's like it's a, it's a personal decision. If you're acting in a way that's harming LGBT people and you're closeted, that I have a problem with. But as far as forcing someone out, I don't agree with that. And I also don't like the notion that people tell people, you know, we'll, we'll just come out and everything will be fine. Because coming out is the first step. It's not a last step in a journey. Can I ask a clarifying yeah. question? When you mean, when you say be out. What do you mean by that? Out to themselves? Well, out to the world? Right. That's, that's the... Like, hey, I'm gay, 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 gay. Or is it you know, <laughs> just that your family and friends are people that you care about now? Well, that's, that's actually what the question is. The question is trying to figure out yeah. what degree of outness do people think is important. I, for me personally, it's important to be very out. But very out means something different to different people. So my, my family knows, my friends know, any place that I work or have worked, people have known, because it's important to me, because oftentimes people, and people change. I've, I've watched I've watched people when they didn't immediately know and, and see some of the things that they say, and then suddenly they catch themselves or language changes, and to me, the importance is of being out is making, almost putting those people on blast, like... I'm not going to let you get away with what you thought you'd be able to get away with when you didn't interpret me as gay. So 
it's more, I'm, that's the question is, is there a degree of outness that you feel is important and what does that mean to you? I feel like a lot of it stems from the fact that people can't imagine us. You know, so that's the reason why we have to keep reminding them I'm gay. I'm gay is a possibility. Lesbian is a possibility. Trans is a possibility. That's one, one of the reasons why we have to keep coming out. Because they, they, the default is straight, you know, heterosexual. So they assume everybody is. So we're always put in this position of reminding them, no, I exist as well. So I feel like that, that's part of the struggle. I completely agree. Any, anybody that I interact with, I mean, they're, they, I have a modicum, at least, of celebrity for being queer. So the, there is no, there's never a conversation about whether I am or not. And I have great, great faith because this youngest generation, it's no longer an issue for them. They, they ask me what pronouns, right? They ask me what label I do want, if I want one. And they're already plugged in, already ready to go. But I, I, I want to jump on that for one second because I do, I am grateful that it's easier for someone who is not heterosexual as a teenager today than it, than it was when I was younger, than no, it was for sure someone who's 20 years older than me, or 40 years older I than me. I think it depends on where you live. But that, yeah. that's what I was going to say. There yeah, is still, true. I feel like there's the, the press has sort of pushed this notion that every gay kid's life is great and they don't have any issues and it's all over. And I'm, I'm not saying that's what you're, we were saying. I feel like that exists somewhat in the atmosphere that there, there are no more struggles for them. But there are a lot... There, while there are a lot of kids who are doing great, there are a lot of kids who's, who are still... I see them still struggling the same way I did. But the world is saying that they shouldn't have to anymore. But they still are. Because the, the social constructs that their families came from or their neighborhoods are, are still in place. Those haven't been broken down yet. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we can reach a place in the future where every kid does feel comfortable. I just sometimes I worry that there are some kids who are getting left out because or they feel like they can't talk about the fact that they're struggling because according to, you know, yeah, the media, the media there's, they're not supposed to be struggling anymore. Well, despite the fact that my first kiss was to a girl in the third grade. In the third grade? I started <laughs> yeah. Early bloomer. Patty Goldrich, wherever she is. <laughs> I didn't really consider the possibility that I might be gay or bisexual until I was in college, but I was in college in the late 70s and early 80s. And it wasn't even something that I could comprehend telling anyone. And I had so much innate homophobia and so much shame for even the possibility that I spent close to 30 years going out to gay bars by myself buying gay literature and hiding it in my house and reading it under the covers with a flashlight and trolling Autostraddle and all the other wonderful sites just to learn about other people. So when I finally got the courage to come out, it was really because I fell madly in love. 
And at that point, I had to come out. I had to, and I, and I was scared. I was really scared. I, at the time, I was the president of a large agency and was terrified that my clients wouldn't like me as much. And this is all innate homophobia. This isn't anybody saying, what? Although I did have a myriad responses. I had some extraordinary responses, which I think still shows the level of possibilities for responding. I had somebody, a very, very dear friend, when I told her that I was gay, she said, no, you're not. I had a, a, a niece, one of my nieces, who's at the time was 18 or 19. When I told her, she was like, awesome. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's all I get? She's like, Debbie, I live in California. Everybody's gay. <laughs> to, to other people saying, fabulous. And my brother, you know, when I told him, he looked at his wife and said, without missing a beat, I told you. Oh, I hate that more than anything. <laughs> I told, that I told you. It kills me. <laughs> so, so, but for me, it was about revealing to myself who I was, which gay, straight has always been difficult for me. Revealing who I am has been difficult. And I think orientation is just a part of that narrative. Yeah. This, to me, is inherently tied to race and economics. If somebody messages me, they, if somebody messages me and says, says, I want what you want, right? Hinges off the closet door and never going back. And they're a poor black kid from Alabama. I have, I, I feel morally obligated to say, if your parents will kick you out, if your safety is in danger, if you will not. Because right, not everybody in Alabama is gay. Right. <laughs> right. If it's going to be a danger to you, then wait. Don't do it. Yeah. Which is another trap, I think, that, that the media perpetuates, that you should do it now and you should. I think it's a concept of safeness. Like, what's the safety level? And it's varying degrees, Beton, like coming out to certain groups of people is like part of that like a contextual kind of coming out because it's like I'm safe in this group I'm coming to come out to this group of people but it's going to based on your identity and how many times you've changed your identity or whatever it's going to basically change and be like there's a concept of like I guess dynamic coming out in a way and it's like based on this kind of like safety because it's not like not all identities that fall under the LGBTQIA whatever are able to come out to the same degree right now than they are, than they have been in the past. So it's like, there are some that are safer in some areas and some that are still extremely unsafe in other areas. So it's like, I feel like it's really hard to define like, this is out and this is, you need to be out to everyone or not. And like, exactly. I feel like it's really important to, exactly. to bring that up. Because it's hard to negotiate these spaces. Me walking down the street, you know, sometimes at night I have to wonder how I'm walking, mm -hmm. you know? Was that gesture too much? I mean, is, am I now unsafe? Or, you know, at work, I was trying to be neutral, whatever that is. Now that they know, will that affect my chances, yeah. my opportunities? Yeah. You know, all these things are going through your mind. But, it, but but I'm honest and open all the time, but, it, you know, at certain places, it's not really just relevant to come up. So when, come, when speaking about being out, it's a very difficult thing because it is a dynamic. Mm -hmm. Because it, it hinges on the fact that we're invisible, or not even imagined, in a sense. Mm -hmm. right, so there's some, we're assumed in his position, rather than, hey, let me find out who this person is. Exactly. Right? So with, you know, with an open mind, they could be anything. No, but 
know, people are very sort of like narrow in their thinking, in their understanding of people, what they're expecting to see. And assumptions. That we have to, yeah, exactly. That we have to do this thing to go like, hey, no, we're not like what you think we are. We're well, actually- it comes down to what is judgeable. If this is something that you have to reveal, that in and of itself means that somebody needs to respond or have a point of view or have a an opinion about. It could be a corrective. Pardon? It could be a corrective. What do you mean? Your assumptions are wrong. This is what's really going on, isn't it? Like they said something to you. And yeah. Right, like, right. Yeah, no, but, like, but the fact that anything even needs to be clarified. Well, it happens to you know all of us. It happens yeah. to black people all the time. We have to like clarify who we are, why we're there, and where we, you know, we're, we but there's an inherent there. bias just in the fact that clarification is necessary that yes. we all live with. Right. Straight people like, don't come out. To, right. going back exactly. To, going back to what I like, said, yes. the imagination. <laughs> going back to the imagination. Right. But I think also, I can obviously only speak for myself. And not just working here. Yes, I work at the LGBT Center. So I have a very different social dynamic. But I haven't worked. I used to work here a long time ago. So I haven't worked here in 15, 14, 15 years. And the person that I am now, which sort of ties into a question we'll ask later, I'm I'm not interested in correcting anyone or or doing anything for someone else. I'm not interested in changing how I move or how I how I how I just I don't I don't care anymore. I literally do not give a damn whatsoever what someone thinks about me. If they have a problem with me as a black guy, the problem with as a gay guy, problem with me as a gay black guy, I don't care. I'm I'm no longer willing to exists in a way to make someone else comfortable or worried about and I'm not I'm not casting aspersions on people who may need to for safety reasons whatsoever I'm I'm speaking for me and I know that I get to speak differently than someone than uh, a woman I know I get to, I get to walk down the street at night with a certain degree of uh, comfort's the wrong word because I'm not thinking about it in that way but I'm not worried. Like, I love to take walks at night. Like, that's one of my favorite things to do. Like, if I'm just, I can't fall asleep and it's one o'clock in the morning, I just get up and take a walk around. I don't think about it. Most of my female friends don't function that way. They, they think very differently when they're walking late at night. And I, and I respect that they have a totally different life experience than I do. Um, so I don't expect them to live like me. But I know that for me, I reached a point where I cannot... I can't pretend for anyone anymore, and I just, I just refuse to. Simultaneously, there are kids who you encounter, or you who reach out to you, or who you meet, or so forth and so on, and it pains you inside to sometimes have to phrase it to them that it's not safe for you to come out, which is horrible. I hate that that has to be said, but I don't want to be especially if it's not a kid that I'm related to or I don't know this person, I'm not, I want to put their life in danger to make them live the way that I do. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, on the topic of coming out, a lot of listeners will ask, you know, or, you know, the notion, we're always coming out, right? Like, it's not, we, we don't come out once and it's over. It's like, you know, you start a new job. Whether you want to come out or not, you come out. You meet a new group of friends or, you know, they're like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? No, I don't I have a girlfriend. Whatever. Do you have any advice for listeners and anyone that is coming out and having to come out over and over again and how to not be sort of defeated by it? Make sure you're safe. Make sure your environment that you're safe, that you have like 
a support network first and decide whether that is important for these people to for you them to, to come out to them. You know, safety first. I think coming out can be the great unifier for a lot of us. It's not just something that LGBTQ people do. People come out as, you know, whatever their political affiliation is or religious or whatever. And as a process that you were saying earlier, coming out to yourself is the first step. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. I'll put words in your mouth. But it, it's being honest within yourself gives you strength to start start telling other people. And I think gives you perspective to be able to see whether telling other people is going to be something you want to do. Yeah, I would definitely at least recommend trying to find a community, um, probably online, um, where you can find seek uh, support and seek strength. Like every like, if you are defeated, then there is at least some sort of community that shares in the same identity or similar identity as you that you can come back to and just find like a core group online, if possible. If not, then um, just being able to post your thoughts online anonymously in a way is also therapeutic. I think the the only advice that I would give still somewhat being new at it <laughs> would be to tell people how you feel about what you're telling them. And I often, when I was telling people, especially people that I was afraid would judge me, I actually told them that I was afraid that they were going to judge me. I did the same thing. I agree, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I would say that other than one or two cases the responses were incredibly warm and welcoming and with a great deal of empathy and also a lot of happiness that because I was simultaneously coming out and telling people that I was in love. And so it was a really, really happy occasion for a lot of people for me. I think it's interesting that you say that because I think I think for some people hearing the information, that probably makes it maybe a little bit easier for them. Because I think a lot of people, when they first come out, are often met with a certain feeling of, you know, sorrow for that person, or they'll never meet someone, or, you know, this, this horrible, dark path that you're headed down. And you're going to live such a horrible life. life. Yeah. Um, whereas you're in love telling someone. So it's, a, it's coming at people from a totally different way. I would also say... 100% yes, safety, looking for a community, being smart about who you're speaking to, and also being open to the fact that there may be more people who are receptive in your world than you might think that there are. When I came out to my grandmother, this was, I mean, this was like 20 years ago, 22 years ago or something, and people were concerned, right? And I had a very good relationship with her. She was a great person. And we talked about everything. So I, I couldn't, it seemed wrong to me to not tell her. And like, would I perpetuate this lie when my, you know, parents knew and my sister and my aunts and uncles. And I was, well, no, this was, this was, um, I'm confusing timelines. But when I told her, um, she was okay. She was like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm pretty sure. And then we never really had much conversation more about that. And then maybe about eight years after that is when I was first working here. And I sent her a copy of the annual report that the center used, used to put out. Um, 
and there are different pictures of staff people in it, so forth and so on. And I called her up and I said, you know, did you get the book? She's like, I, you know, I got it. She's like, you know, Grandma still doesn't a hundred percent understand it, but everyone looks like they're having a wonderful time. So. <laughs> She was happy that I was happy. And that's really all it kind of boiled down to for her because it broke. I mean, this is a woman who was born in 1927. So notions of what gay was, if it even, I mean, it existed at that point. We've always been around. That's the other thing I hate. The notion that somehow the gay rights movement is, is new. Like gay people showed up in 1969, all of a sudden, as opposed to we've been here since the beginning of time, right? But I say all that to say there was concern around telling her because of, well, you don't know how she's going to respond. And she responded beautifully. So sometimes we create fear when there may actually be more warmth than we actually realize. Gender queer people showed up in 2011. <laughs> The other thing I would recommend, right, a lot, right along those lines, is is give yourself a huge amount of space to live without shame and judgment around it. There's no perfect way to come out. There's no right way. You're going to say something that you wish you hadn't said. It's just going to be part of that process. And to give yourself the space to enjoy it is a possibility. Something really interesting happened to me at my first Pride Parade. And I had actually been to Pride Parades prior to coming out. But the first Pride Parade that I attended after, I suddenly went from thinking that Pride was about other people not being ashamed of you to suddenly feeling proud of who I was. And that was, that was life-changing and life-affirming at the same time. Can I go into the, I'm going to sort of flow into the next question with that. And I'm glad you mentioned the Pride Parade because I've been to like tons of them. I think the first Pride Parade that I went to, oh no, it was actually the year before, but was the 24th Pride, I guess, 24th anniversary. But I love the idea of the parade, right? And there's so many people. So I've been to tons of them. I've been in the, in the parade. I've been a spectator. And I often hear people say, oh, well, I don't want to go. Like, it's the, who cares? Like, why do we even still have it? Which, for me, I get frustrated with that because for someone, it is their first pride. For someone. Of, of, and that person could be 15. That person could be 50. So it's important that, that it exists. And I will always remember one key moment, because um, I used to sing with Lavender Light, the gay and lesbian gospel, black gospel choir. And we're coming down Christopher Street, like sing, I forget what song we're with it, singing, a gospel song, just, I think it's a song called The Power Belongs to God, which is about, you know, you're, you're beautiful and no one can judge you. It's, you know, God loves you. And... We're coming down the street singing, and I remember seeing this, what was a kid to me, looked like he was probably about maybe 16, in tears. Just, and I, I feel like I identified with him that this was a, probably a young black kid who grew up in the church and who felt oppressed, and he suddenly saw a group of 
gay black people coming down the street singing gospel music and happy. And he was, he was, he was like literally bawling on the side of the street. And it was such a, it reminded me of that's why this exists. And I'll use that to ask who are people that you look at? They could be people who are celebrities or just regular people in your world who you consider to be iconic, who made a difference for you. Uh, for me, um, it's all about the current. So I, that iconic person, that role model, I think is really important and someone to look up to right now. I see uh, Janet Mock um, being really influential and Hari Neff also being influential for me at the moment. But that's something that is constantly changing based on myself and who the who's speaking the most lucid way for me at that point. Uh, Jimmy Bolton. <laughs> James Bolton. Hugely inspirational for me was everyone in Paris is Burning. That, that that movie changed my whole outlook on how to be a human being. I, don't, I mean, there's there's so many, there's so many people. I mean, Anne Bannon, the the writer of the pulp novels of the '60s, to Lily Tomlin, to Rachel Maddow, to Gloria Steinem, to Bella Abzo, to the Indigo Girls, you know. <laughs> But there's somebody that's doing some really interesting work, Leanne Pittsford, who runs Lesbians Who Tech. So last year I went to that conference and was really just looking for more community. And she got up on stage and she looked at everybody and we were all sort of packed into this little auditorium, maybe three or 400 women. And she looked at everybody and she said, who would have thought that there were three or 400 Lesbians Who Tech? <laughs> And it was amazing. And I felt so excited just to be part of a community that I really believed in. So I think that she's doing some really, really special work in, in this. To the James Baldwin, just because I'm curious what your take on him was. Because for me, as a kid, uh, and again, going back to you never know who's potentially in your corner. I remember a librarian who just said to me one day, she gave me Giovanni's room. She's like, I think you might. Very quietly and very softly, and and it was you know impactful and powerful. And he was iconic to me because I don't know how he did what he did at that time. This this just boldly out black man who really did not seem to care whatsoever what people had to say about him, and he was. I mean, yes, Byard Rustin existed too, but Byard Rustin was more behind the scenes, so I grow up to admire him later. But I look at people like even Lily Tomlin, who wasn't out in the public eye, but she, I always remembered loving her, besides the fact that 9 to 5 is one of the most amazing movies ever, but that she was just like herself, like, this is me. So, yeah. yeah. First and foremost, she was just smart. Yeah. Smart and funny and witty and sharp and a woman, and gay. Our, our last question we have is, this is the interesting one we're going back to. So how would the teenage you respond to where you are today? <laughs> would the teenage you even recognize who you are yeah. today? It's a good question, right? <laughs> I feel, well, I always joke that I wrote, I wrote the book for my 11-year-old self. That's what it's for. It's a love letter. And if my social community is any indication, there are a lot of 11-year-old me's out there, right? People feeling like they, they 
haven't been accepted or recognized in their families. I think my teenage self would recognize me because I was doing this. It was in the barn, and I was afraid my dad was going to come in and take action, perhaps in a violent way, against me. But it was still there. It's that weird relationship, that kernel of who I am is what saved me, you know? I layered all this other stuff on top of it to try to hide it and deny it, but it was always there throughout the years saying, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to lie to people? You want to you wear flat shoes to work? Are you sure? Right? Just there asking under the surface, and it was that teenage self that I have to thank for being so happy and healthy and alive and vibrant today because that teenager never forgot how to be vibrant. I think my teenage self will be really surprised that I made it through and I'm alive today and that I'm like happy in myself uh, that I actually, I guess, uh, made it through like the fear of parents and the fear of like things that I thought would be impossible to get through. And that it's mostly surprise, I think, <laughs> and shock. Yeah. My teenage years were very much a bit of a blur in that I was for the first time in most of my life coming out of having been severely abused. And so I had so much post-traumatic stress disorder and so much self-loathing that if I thought that this was how my life was going to turn out, I would have thought I would be a different human being. Like it's just not even possible that this is possible. And I feel so incredibly lucky every single day to have ended up here right now that it doesn't even seem possible that that person is the same person. Uh, my teenage me is pretty much the same as I am now. Be more surprised of all the things I've ended up doing and all the twists and turns like how I played out activism when we looked at racial activism, how we um, fought for, you know, AIDS activism, how we did all, how all those, those possibilities turned out. But the teenage me, the preschool me, same me. Preschool me knew I was gay for when I first met another boy. Had no problem with it. Didn't care, fuck all, whatever people thought. <laughs> same person, but... The experiences is what my teenage me would be like, wow, you did that? That's possible? Yeah. Oh my fucking God. And you survived? Well done, you. Me as a teenager, I would never be sitting on the stage right now. <laughs> never have the podcast. Never be out at work. I almost look back and wish I didn't wait so long. You know? So I don't think Janine as a teen would recognize Janine today. You should, Janine as a teen, you should do that as a series. Yeah, that would be scary. <laughs> no time like the present, though. It's never too late. My teenage me would not, and I think I said this in the podcast that we did, would not believe that I would be here. I don't, I don't think I thought I would be alive. I was pretty sure that I would have died. That the notion of being out and happy, I mean, am I coming out process started around 15 and by I mean and had my first real like serious boyfriend at like 21 or so but so 
but the 13 till two till 21 was such a horrible time for me, which is to know me at that time, no one would believe it. I was a very, I was a liked kid and I was popular and I was in, I was class president and all these different things. So I was publicly happy, but I was internally just filled with so much self-loathing and self-hatred. And I thought I was the most disgusting thing on the face of the earth because those are the messages that I was hearing from the world. Um, so the teenage me could not have imagined this, but I'm grateful for the people in my world, um, friends of mine who you know came out together with, and the librarian who gave me the book, teachers who, especially teachers who I knew who were gay, who never ever said that they were, but made it abundantly clear that they were in my corner. And that's, I mean, which is, I think, how you help kids. If you can't, just to just be in their corner, to make sure that they fully understand that you, you got their back, like you can come to me for anything and that they know they have a safety net somewhere. So yeah, I'm, and I, I'm very happy with the person I am today, but I, yeah, the teenager me could not have pictured this presence. So, but I'm happy it turned out this way. <laughs> me too. We are too. <laughs> so I guess on that note, that's really it. We might have some time for a few questions and answer, uh, you know, Q&A. But I do, again, want to thank the panelists for taking the time and coming here um, and sharing their stories even deeper than I thought, which is great. Because I really think, honestly, like the more open we are about these things, like we're actually really relating to people going through similar things versus of kind of making it seem like it's all okay. And, you know, so I appreciate everything. Thank you to the center and Rob for hosting us tonight. You can go to gaycenter.org if you want to learn more about um, the LGBT center here in New York, as well as if you want to make any donations to them since they did give us the space tonight. Again, I'm super grateful and I really can't believe I'm on the stage right now. So I'm really, really, really happy. Please spread word about the podcast. Um, you can go to nakedandinsideout.com. You can share us on social there, rate us on iTunes, just spread the word. I'd really appreciate it.